You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to www.3cr.org.au. 3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations, true owners, caretakers and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. We recognise their unceded sovereignty and pay respect to elders past, present and emerging. Y'all niggas got me hot. That's the sound of Anderson Park uh, with the song Come Down. This is Uprise Radio. Happy New Year. It is January 1st of the year 2020. My name's Jackson. And I'm James. And I, I feel like I can see you really clearly. It's almost like I've got 2020 vision of you. Wow. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. <laughs> Pauline. Pauline good. Thank Pauline you. Good. Well, Thank um, you. thanks everyone for tuning in again for another year. James will be here all week. Try the feel. It's a baby cow. <laughs> and um, we're going to be looking back a little bit today at the year that had been mm-hmm. of 2019. We're going to mm-hmm. be playing uh, a couple songs that we enjoyed from the year. Mm-hmm. And just looking at some of the, I guess, key events that we covered or that happened throughout the year. So hopefully you're feeling pretty good today and you're wanting to reflect a little bit as we, you know, reflect and then look beyond again. Yeah, and while you pick up the refuse of last night, hopefully we can be a soothing companion and an insightful one perhaps in moments uh, of our own reflections on the year. Well, I suppose there were some pretty big events this year. It's It's been a tumultuous year. Globally, it's pretty arguable. I mean, Australia's fire season certainly started early. Mm-hmm. You were in Japan towards the end of the year. They'd had typhoons out the wazoo. I mean, climate change is clearly on the march. Uh, early December, I think, you know, there were records broken for the heat all around Australia. Community suffering through 49 degrees, 50 degrees. And, you know, you listen to scientists, they tell you this is the, the new normal that we're going to have to uh, learn to adapt you know, there is a lot of evidence of people uh, living in 50-degree temperatures, though I wouldn't say they exactly thrive. You, you spend a lot of time in shade, have a lot of access to fresh water. You can't really do a lot physically uh, in the heat of the day. 
So that's going to be a dramatic change to how we live here in Australia. We already, you know, seen the power go off a few times in Victoria. And I think that the reliance of the system on, on you know, old coal mm. um, as energy is going to mean that the power goes off constantly, which, you know, as people going to get access to cooling and things like that, it's going to be even harder to be able to live in that kind of environment. Yeah. And if you're a vulnerable person, extreme heat is extremely dangerous. Not to mention the fires. I mean, the fires have been horrendous. Not sure if Scott Morrison has returned from Hawaii yet, but, you know, Joey's having a lovely time. Hashtag fire, Scott Morrison. So I think um, as, you know, we ponder those kind of things, we're going to look back on a couple of things. I think tying in some of the elections, the, the UK election, which happened in December, and the Australian election, which happened in May. May. Yeah. Uh, and then looking at, I guess, some responses to some of these terrible parts of capitalism we saw through, you know, most of the year, really, the what's happening in Hong Kong mm. and the climate strikes, you know, um, in Australia and across the world as well. Yeah. And lots of people out on the streets all over the world, you know, incredible uh, protests in Iraq as well, you know, in a place that's been you know, so hard done by and in Peru, uh, in Chile and uh, Bolivia. Mm hmm. As well. But yeah, I mean, Hong Kong obviously really captured the imagination. And here in Australia, yeah, we've seen some, you know, huge amount of numbers we hadn't seen on the streets of Melbourne since the um, anti-Iraq war protests back in 2003, I think they were. I think we, we saw some big protests. That we saw bigger protests around the work choices. Okay. Things, but there's certainly... 100,000 around work choices. Yeah. Big numbers. Yeah. Um, that we, yeah, we certainly had in, seen in 07. Is that work choices? Yeah, that was Howard's last election. Yeah, yeah around that time, election campaign. Yeah, that he lost. Yes. Um, so I think should we start by talking about the elections? Sure. Um, Scott Morrison won. You know, Boris I think Johnson won. Yeah, sad news. It's a sad way to start the year. Thinking about that ha- that happened in the previous year. I mean, there just seems to be this trend in the West. Two trends. I just want to highlight. I don't think I'm saying anything new here, but one is the uh, continued incorrectness of polls, um, though Boris Johnson was uh, expected to win and win quite comfortably, which is what he did. And we, I think we should have a chat about the role that the media played in undermining uh, Corbyn's leadership, uh, particularly uh, since Johnson took over, but even before that. Uh, but here in Australia, like Bill Shorten was, by all accounts, going to you know become not just Prime Minister of Australia, but have a mandate for change. And he had a broad policy platform, um, you know, with a with a you know some fairly so you know at the risk of you know painting a a boring centrist, you know, a little radical, you know, like some of them were were vaguely socialist, you know, the ideas like um, income tax. Uh, dividend imputation, you know, stopping people getting uh, kickbacks for having a lot of shares, you know, um, you know, some capital gains tax reform, some negative gearing reform, you know, a lot of things targeted at wealthy Australians to try and put some of that money back into the pocket of everyday Australians who are struggling with incredibly stagnant wages, crazy increases in cost of energy and other house uh, price, price, other cost of living uh, costs, um, and bizarrely you know this other trend is like working people or you know everyday people voting against their interests you know people what's frightening is that we've got morrison um, had no policies i just gotta say that yeah. i'm so angry i'm still so angry about that 
Well, I think that's the kind of really disappointing part is, you know, for a long time, I think we've seen politics on both sides that is devout of any kind of debate and policies come forward. And, you know, Corbyn and um, the government here as well have, have shortened. They actually came forward with a bunch of policies, which... Wealth I th- redistribution. I think, like you're saying, you know, we're going to play a positive role for a lot of people and for a lot of working class people. And they, they still voted against that. So it's really, it's difficult to see what those parties are going to do except lurch further to the right. I think while, while Shorten wasn't necessarily a leader of the left, he, what the party was bringing forward was, was a big um, shift further to the left than they had for a long time. Yeah, I agree. It's, it was interesting seeing Rachel Perkins' uh, show on the ABC, Total Control, you know, which looked at the way Indigenous affairs is politicised in Australia. And I thought it was quite clever that you know, while it's, the show has a conservative government in power with a female prime minister, it was quite clear that the party, it was really immaterial whether the party was Labor or the coalition because you know, in recent history, the policy platforms have been so similar. But there was a divergence in this last election. There was a clear choice um, in the type of policies that you wanted to vote for because Morrison barely came uh, to the public with a policy platform and, and, and just the, the incompetence and the um, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? The, the secrecy and opaqueness surrounding, you know, the end of Turnbull's reign and, you know, that the $500 million given to the great barrier reef foundation who had a mm. annual, but an annual operating budget of $2 million. There was no, they hadn't even applied for a grant you know, it's just the government just throwing large amounts of money at a, at a well-named organisation that they could control to claim that they're doing something on climate change. The continued roaring up and down the east coast of the Murray-Darling Basin and the complete lack of plan to stop you know, what, what are going to be more uh, cr- catastrophes like the Menindee fish kill. You know, we're just seeing this kind of you know, the, this totally ineffectual governance. Mm. And, and, and Morrison scarily from my perspective, has become more popular since his election through just, you know, banal jingoism, you know, just just kind of asking people to think about how good swimming pools are. And, <laughs> you know, like it's – there's there's no uh, yeah. method to the madness, it seems like. And you know, all these stories circulating of how many kind of bizarro Hillsong cultists he has around him kind of mm. influence – and it's something we've touched on before on the show, like how his deep religiosity is impacting his policy positions – I'm not sure that his popularity has grown. I mean, I think it's really difficult to forecast out to what an election would look like mm, um, this early on, you know, because mm. we've just had it. Mm. And even you know, popular leaders, their um, popularity can wane. I think at this kind of point in time. But I think it's it's scary to think what um, what's going to happen for you know the future of trying to get more progressive things through Parliament, at least. And I just, I, I mean, it's the first time we've really had, I mean, I think less so in Australia. We, we had, I think, like we said, progressive kind of politics, but Sanders and Corbyn, I think, have really represented something that while, you know, we still want to push for, you know, much bigger change on the left, I think it's something that we've been crying out for for as long as I've been politically active is to actually have, in the West at least, some you know, leaders with some socialist kind of ideas and progressive ideas that were much more than just, you know, the real kind of the Tony Blairs of, Mm. you know, Bill Clintons that we've had. Mm. And they, I mean, I think they actually, you know, did quite well in some terms of how many people voted for them, but still not able to form government. 
Yeah, I don't, I don't think the media have been focusing on at all on the fact that 10 million people voted for Corbyn and his uh, pretty um, reformist, you know, at times radical agenda, you know, of renationalizing public assets. You know, I think mm. we spoke about this when we spoke about the Save Footscray Park issue earlier this year, this problem of privatization of public assets, particularly those that lean towards natural monopolies like energy and transport and healthcare. Um, and, and John Pilger's film, which I think we mentioned in that yeah. um, show, which is about the privatization of the NHS, they actually banned him being able to advertise, talk about the film Who did? In, in the election. Who did the, the the British Parliament or I can't whatever the kind of governing like body that looks after that kind of thing? Wow. They were not allowed to talk about that because it was politicising an election. Apparently, uh, well, you wouldn't want that. No, you wouldn't want to talk cle- about politics during an election. Clearly not. So, you know, and I, I think you know, there's been a lot talked about the kind of influence of the Murdoch press, but I think like you just said, then it's the kind of so-called left media as well, like the Guardian the BBC that have attacked uh, Corbyn as well. Yeah, especially on this issue of anti-Semitism, which has been happening in the States as well, when politicians have dared to criticise Israel, uh, which is deserving of much criticism, particularly Mm. from the left. Um, They're being branded as anti-Semitic. I think the frustration with the way that it was deployed to uh, white ant Corbyn's campaign was the suggestion that I'm sure anti-Semitism exists in the Labour Party in the same way anti-Semitism surely exists in the Tory party uh, and exists in um, most uh, Western cultures. Anti-Semitism is a real thing, as xenophobia is, as racism is. But this idea that it somehow got worse under Corbyn because Corbyn has openly criticised Israel and continues to do so, I think... I, I don't know. I'm not in the British Labour Party, so I can't, you know, speak with absolute assurance. But I'm, not, I'm sure it was used as a way to undermine his leadership. Because I think what's clear is that while Corbyn was very popular with rank-and-file British Labour Party members who elected him to the leadership with huge numbers, you know, much, mm. much more popular than previous Labour leaders, the Labour executive who you know, think of themselves as political realists and have to sell these ideas, these radical ideas. You know, he's a you know a staunch pacifist, which was really inspiring. We haven't had a kind of pacifist voice leading a major political party in any of our alliance bloc for quite some time, you know, while the US, the head of our alliance bloc, has been a except crazy Japan. warmonger. Yeah, interestingly, uh, except Japan, nominally. You know, they're nominally a pacifist state, but they mm-hmm. still, you know, house an enormous amount of US troops. They spend an enormous amount of money on military. They're still part of this big mm. US military well, I'm sure machine. the UK were, were still going to do that as well. I mean, although uh, Corbyn has been a big part of the Stop the War Alliance and, you know, it was really a key member of that organising committee in the Iraq, Afghanistan, Worcester. You know, they're not going to disband the UK military. No, but I think there were policies in place to direct funding from, you know, the the Trident missile defence, you know, submarine Mm. to things that people really need, like housing and, Mm. um, you know, subsidised work and, you know, a transition away from unclean energy and all these opportunities that are there for the the state to take a really central role in combating the really sizable challenges that, that the world has at the moment. Now, I am not filled with optimism about the upcoming 2020 election with the way Shame that you. with the way that you know Boris John Boris Johnson the most Etonian mess you can think of. I remember watching the London Olympics and this guy came on and he was mayor of London at the time and I just thought like who is, who is this, this guy? Why, why have they got this idiot on TV? Why is this Trump impersonator? This bad Trump impersonator. It was impersonator? before Trump. <laughs> yeah, sorry. 
Good point. Well, not before Trump at all, but Trump yeah. wasn't, con- you know, like necessarily directly on the leader the of the free world. He wasn't <laughs> yet the leader of the free world. And then they elected this guy to be their leader. Oh, well. Yeah. Sorry. But yes, um, so the I, 2020 election. You know, I US, think Trump's behavior has crazily endeared him to the people that, that already loved him even more. You know, I think the 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 descent of US politics to farce, to to name calling, to, you know, celebrity gossip columns like I tried to watch Fox and Friends the other day, um, the other evening. It's not in the middle of the night here because uh, it's live, which is, you know, Donald's favourite show and apparently where he gets a lot of his policy ideas. I mean, the show says, it has scenes like this. This is one of the scenes. It goes, now for some news headlines. A Coca-Cola loyalty program will deliver exclusive Coca-Cola products to your house every single day. Now, the loyalty program is currently full, but a few new places are opening up just oh, wow. in time for Christmas. That is presented as a news headline. How many places opened up? <laughs> uh, you know what? I think we should go to a little bit of music okay. um, because I feel a bit sick after talking about... Fox and Friends. So uh, I think even one of- even uh, some of the Fox and Friends loyal stable have uh, been uh, criticizing Trump over recent weeks as well, though. So you know, not always not well in uh, it'll, paradise. It'll be interesting to see what happens with the or what has happened with the impeachment <laughs> inquiry. Um, but yeah, I think as I'm feeling ill, it'd be a good time to play this song by Paul Kelly and uh, Vicar and Linda Bull. Uh, your choice for one of your favorite songs. Yeah, so it's it's um, off the Paul Kelly album release 2019, which is live from the Sydney Opera House. And most of the tracks are Paul Kelly's songs, but he does have a few of his uh, favorites on there, Vicar and Linda Bull, and um, they are playing this. Paul's on guitar. I think. No, don't hear his voice. This is called My Man's Got a Cold.
That was Vicar and Linda Bull with Paul Kelly's stomping guitar in the background. There you are tuned into 3CR. It is New Year's Day and you're listening to Uprise Radio. I hope that uh, anyone out there, however they identify, they're not battling a cold or other ailments today. And, you know, it's good to start the, the year and fine spirits. And yeah, and you'd hope if you were offered any of the things that they were talking about in that song that you're well enough to receive them. That's, that's, that's my hope. Yes. Um, so we were talking a little bit about some of the previous elections, and I think now we're going to move on to some more inspiring things that happened through the year mm. uh, of 2019. And I don't know if we perhaps we might we touched on it a little bit if we want to get into the 2020 US election, but uh, if we don't fully cover that, um, that is something that we'll be covering a lot throughout the year. Definitely. I want to do a good analysis of the differences between the Democratic Party candidates. Uh, I think that'd be a lot of fun. But talking about inspiring things happen this year, you've got to give a shout out to Greta Thunberg and also the rest of the young people uh, striking from school for climate change. I feel like Greta is doing this spectacular job of enraging already angry middle-aged white men. Um, and it's just so fun just drinking their tears online as they struggle to understand that a young person can have a strong enough understanding of international diplomacy, uh, the the economy, um, the environment, and present present more positive options and more positive pathways than many of our governments. I mean, just a few weeks ago, the UN spent 12 days plus another two days trying to agree you know, to, to, to tackle, to, to limit warming to no more than 1.5 degrees by the end of the century. We're currently on track for three and a half degrees. And at that time at COP25, Australia's main role was to try to convince the other countries that they should be allowed to use credits from previous uh, years to count for this year and other countries. To use creative just, accounting yeah. when dealing with the planet, dealing yeah. with the, the life support system of all of us. And I think it just gets to the heart of the, that. I think most people would say, well, we're trying to do something, not to appear that we're doing something. So if you did something in the past, that's great. We want to do something now, not just go, hey, I also did something a few years ago. So can I have some credit for that? Yeah, cut me some slack. Recognize pride learning. <laughs> so, I mean, I think a great example of what you said about um, Greta upsetting um, strange white old men was Donald Trump put out this very strange tweet to saying that Greta needs to get her anger management in check and go and see a good old-fashioned movie. And so Greta changed her Twitter um, 
profile to say that Greta Thunberg anger managed just getting my anger management just basically copied his exact tweet and I thought that just gets to the heart of how well she understands the um, diplomacy and being able to upset idiots yes he is a, it's remarkable that he is in the position he is in go, just go and watch a movie Greta stop telling me about how I'm not doing anything mm-hmm. to, to, to save the world I mean I get so frustrated with the rhetoric here in Australia you know we have a bastion of climate denialists and obfuscators on Sky News particularly and in other media outlets but you know, trotting out these endless commentary about, oh, you know, Australia only contributes 1% of global emissions, you know, we can't do anything, you know, we're not doing anything and we can't do anything anyway, even if we did do something. But you know what? What percentage of the fossil fuels that are burned do we sell? You know, we might be burning 1%, but what is the total makeup of everything that we sell to Japan, to India, to Mm. China, you know, to all of these fossil fuels that we are exporting, you know, hand over fist, Significant amount. Also, if 20 countries who contribute 1% of global emissions actually showed some leadership, got together and said, well, we can't rely on the biggest polluters. You know, we're going to show some leadership. But there's just so much, you know, this acceptance that like, you know, banal mediocrity is near, you know, it's good enough, you know, we should all just stop trying to reach for the stars and just burn, you know, that's essentially what the message seems to be. Well, I might just read from the back of this uh, book that came out late, um, Last year. 2019, Mm. from Literary University Press. It says, We have unparalleled renewable energy resources. We also have the necessary scientific skills. Australia could be the natural home for an increasing proportion of global industry. But how do we make it happen? Australia's leading thinker on climate and energy policy, Ross Garner, offers a roadmap for progress covering energy, transport, agriculture, the international scene and more. So this book is called Superpower. And I think what it does, I think, does paint a really good picture of the kind of leading role that Australia could play in not just producing renewable energy, but also being able to export that off to, to other countries as well. But also, the if we do not do that, the kind of threat that Australia faces as well. And, you know, we spoke earlier about the kind of thing about the heat and the fires and things that we've experienced over summer, but there are so much of... Australia that is under threat from climate change and while we you know can debate about the things of what kind of impact we might be having overall the energy we're using if we want to just look at how much we're going to be impacted if we don't act soon you know it feels again like one of those disaster or you know solution kind of roadmaps. Mm. I mean it's great I've heard really good things about Roscano's book uh, and I think the idea of selling um, clean energy through a undersea pipeline, I mean the pipelines are already there for um, fibre optic cables you know for, for passing around the wonderful World Wide Web you know so there's there's trenches already built you know between mainland Asia and Australia is my understanding. Except I think they, they, they got built by um, Malcolm Turnbull the, the pipeline stops just before it gets to the country so you go <laughs> all the way in. Yeah it's um, yeah fiber to the islands the outer lane islands but um it's a great idea but you know here on 3cr we have two programs made by beyond zero emissions who released a plan for full um carbon a full carbon neutral energy system here in australia in 2010 mm-hmm. fully costed i think the costing at the time was something like it was expensive it was 10 10 billion a year over 10 years something like that but really if you think about that that's just 10 not built east west links each year or, you know, three Mikey systems each year, you know, like it, and the entire country ends up on clean energy. Now, there were more things we we're going to talk about, but we're actually completely out of time. So uh, we should say Happy New Year and we'll be back many times 
the rest of this year. Uh, it's been nice to spend some time with you for the first time in 2019. Thanks a lot for tuning in. See you again soon. I'm uh, just going to play a song by Melbourne band, uh, you know, quite fittingly, A Rolling Coastal Blackouts Fever. Uh, this song is called Air Conditioned Man, and we will see you in a fortnight's time. listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.